This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Hello and welcome to ILTV's Zion News on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up in today's newscast, the IDF retaliates against Hamas gunfire. Israel approves the construction of 2,500 new homes in the West Bank. And get ready for this, a team of Israelis are even closer to winning an international race to the moon. I'm Natasha Kirchak here with the latest news in Israel. The Israeli army has just released details of an overnight incident in which IDF tanks shelled a Hamas position in southern Gaza, all in response to gunshots fired at IDF troops from over the border. The soldiers were conducting routine activities in the area of the separation fence when they came under fire. Gaza's interior ministry reported today that the shelled post was completely destroyed. This is the second time this week that there's been an incident of this type. Just three days ago, another Hamas post in the southern Gaza Strip was shelled after terrorists in the Hamas-controlled enclave attacked an IDF military bulldozer. And last month, IDF tanks retaliated by shelling a Hamas post after terrorists opened fire at other Israeli soldiers who were engaged in regular maintenance of the barrier at the time. None of the soldiers protecting the Jewish state were hurt in any of the incidents. Israel has just approved the construction of 2,500 more homes in the West Bank, most of which will be built in existing settlement blocks. The move marks the second announcement of settlement expansion since Donald Trump has become president of the United States, leading Palestinian leaders to accuse the new American leader of encouraging these actions. International leaders are already condemning the move, but the Israeli Defense Ministry says expansion is necessary to fulfill the demand for new housing and maintain the regular daily life of Jewish residents in the West Bank. On Sunday, the Jerusalem municipality approved building over 560 homes in East Jerusalem. The majority of the latest construction is supposed to take place in existing settlement blocks that Israel plans on keeping under any future peace deal with the Palestinians. Yet many of the homes are set to be built outside of existing blocks, according to a breakdown provided by the prime minister's office, sparking even more outrage among the Palestinians. نحن نعتبر أن كل الاستطاعة الاستعماري هو غير شرعي وغير قانوني ولابد من إزالته هناك قرارات واضحة صادرة على مجلس الأمن الدولي وليس أقلها وآخرها كان القرار 2334 الذي يؤكد على عدم شرعية وقانونية الاستطاعة الاستعماري بإجماع دولي هذا الأمر يستوجب أن يكون هناك وقف من المجتمع الدولي وأيضا نحن لن نقبل إطلاقا بأن تبقى هذه الحكومة الماضية في كل ما يتعلق باستمرار جرائمها وعدوانها ضد شعبنا الفلسطيني Today, about 350,000 Jews live in the West Bank, and another 200,000 live in East Jerusalem, an area that Israel seized in the 1967 Middle East War. While the majority of the Jewish population is concentrated in major settlement blocks close to the border with Israel, there are still more than 100 outposts scattered across the West Bank. 
The American administration under Barack Obama greatly hindered the Israeli government from expanding these communities, claiming settlement expansion will prevent any chance for a two-state solution. But now, just two days after Donald Trump's inauguration, the Israeli prime minister has already changed his tune. The premier has lifted restrictions on settlement construction across the board, claiming Israel has the right to respond to the housing needs of its people. Well, the proposed relocation of the U.S. embassy in Israel remains a hot topic, and today senior Palestinian officials are denying reports that the White House gave them behind-the-scenes promises that Washington will not carry through on President Trump's promise. Aaron, where are all these mixed messages coming from? What is going on? Unfortunately, it's still unclear. But if we're going to take the Palestinian Authority at their word. Then the last official notice that we've gotten on on the embassy's move comes from the White House, saying that even discussion over moving it is still in very very early stages. But what we can gather is that the Palestinian Authority is still very worried. A widely read Arabic newspaper published an article claiming to quote Palestinian Authority leaders expressing their relief over the supposed reassurances, but Ramallah says it just didn't happen. The false report emerged right after the American Consul General in Jerusalem met with PA President Mahmoud Abbas and his top negotiator Saeed Berakat. One highly placed PLO official close to Abbas says that for now the Palestinians believe the most recent statements from the Trump administration indicates that the issue is not a top priority. Jordan's King Abdullah II is preparing to take off today for official summits in Moscow and then Washington, where he's expected to object to the relocation of America's diplomatic compound in the Jewish state. The monarch has been holding talks with Abbas over the past few days. Meanwhile, in Israel, regional cooperation minister Tzachia Negbi today acknowledged that the issue is likely to be the subject of considerable debate before any concrete steps are taken. Although he says he has no doubt the final decision will be different from any of the preceding administrations. Since both houses of Congress passed a law in 1995 demanding the U.S. embassy be moved from Tel Aviv to the Israeli capital, three consecutive presidents have signed waivers to delay the relocation 35 times. The current postponement expires this coming May. Initial talks between Israelis and the Trump administration are covering a range of issues that require policy clarification. Foreign policy expert Dan Dyker says Prime Minister Netanyahu will have to figure out what he really wants before his meeting with President Trump next month in the White House. I think for some time now,、uh, Israeli government officials、uh, like Minister Bennett and clearly Prime Minister Netanyahu and other members of Mr. Netanyahu's cabinet have been meeting with the transition team. Um, on the、um, in the camp of Mr. Trump, and they've had a range of discussions. In the Israeli political discussion, the、uh, parameters are on the one side,、um, on the right side of the equation, if you will.、Uh, Miss, uh, Minister Bennett is calling for the annexation of Maliyadumim and laying the groundwork,、um, very possibly, for the annexation of Area C. Uh, in uh, in the disputed West Bank, Judea and Samaria, whereas Mr. Netanyahu is much more of a let's hold and wait and see,、um, consult with the administration and see where、uh, see what the lay of the land is, if you were. So it really reflects a a. A、uh, fairly broad and robust discussion within the Israeli government as to what moves to make、uh, and and what uh, uh, you know what the parameters are of the Israeli-American、uh, relationship right now, which is just、uh, a short time after Mr. Trump's inauguration. For some time, we in Israel, many of us in Israel, have been hoping that the Prime Minister would, in fact, 
lay out his policy. Now, when he comes before Trump, it's very possible that Trump will say to him, look, what do you guys want? I want to support Israel, but what is your plan? What would you like to see happen? Do you think that the prime minister has such an idea? Is he going to uh, reiterate what he said in uh, his famous speech at Bar Ilan about uh, two states for two peoples, or will he talk about something else? Well, this is the $64,000 question, as it was once said. Mr. Netanyahu has faced uh, many presidents uh, uh, over the last, over his last 30 years of being at the top of Israeli uh, politics and international diplomacy, and he's always been in a position of having to defend. Uh, Israel's uh, minimal positions, their minimal security requirements, Israel's minimal diplomatic and, and political and historical rights. And here, for the first time, uh, there are some in the uh, Trump administration that may well begin with the president himself that are, uh, that are matching the, uh, uh, the sense of Israeli and Jewish rights uh, to, uh, for, for Israel. And Mr. Netanyahu has to come up with, uh, clearly, with a positive, what they call an ask. Uh, and, and there is really, um, there is a question as to whether Mr. Netanyahu will stick to the, to the um, what some call the two-state-for-two-people paradigm. I prefer to say it is the paradigm of a potential non-militarized Palestinian state, which had been stated in the 2009 Bar Ilan peace conference that Mr. Netanyahu held. Um, but it really remains to be seen in terms of the political lay of the land, the international community, the UN um, and the, Europe, you know, the Europeans specifically as to where Mr. Netanyahu will take, this dis uh, will take the discussion uh, with Mr. Trump. And most specifically, uh, Steve, it, it matters what the local political uh, lay of the land is for Mr. Netanyahu to demand, for example, uh, or to ask for a, an annexation of parts of uh, Area C of the West Bank, which I don't believe that he will do. I believe that Mr. Netanyahu will really focus on Jerusalem and on Iran. Those are the two major issues for Israel. It is a united Jerusalem and, uh, and really getting tough uh, with Iran. Most of the world is completely unaware that almost every single night, desperate women, children, and men wounded in the civil war raging in Syria make their way to the Jewish state for help from the very same people they consider to be their enemies. The injured Syrians come to set points on the Israeli-Syria frontier after the fall of darkness. They're quickly evacuated to safe areas by IDF soldiers on the lookout for initial care by army medics before being taken to Israeli hospitals. Despite being in a formal state of war with Syria, it's no secret that more than 2,600 Syrian citizens have been allowed to cross into Israel for help. ולכן התחושה פה היא באמת תחושה של שליחות, של סיוע מוניטרי אמיתי לטובת האוכלוסייה ששם. Most of the wounded are terrified to identify themselves by name or allow their faces to be photographed because they're very afraid of retribution back home if it's ever discovered they received medical treatment in the Jewish state. Almost all are brought to the Ziv Medical Center in northern Israel where many of the staff are native Arabic speakers. In the first weeks, no, we try not to ask them many questions because we are afraid that they will be in more uh, stress and to be afraid more. So we just give them uh, what they ask and we give them the medical care. Then after weeks, we start the, you know, the relationship together. Most say they've completely changed their minds about Israel after seeing it for themselves.
نحن بالاول بنعرف انه اسرائيل عهوما دولتنا ونظامنا موجود كانت اسرائيل عدو لنا يعني كعدو لشعبنا لنا لما دخلنا اسرائيل تغيرت الفكره تماما يعني ما فيها العداوه بيننا وبينه اما النظام اللي كان زارع هالفكره هاي مشان نظن بحاله عداء مع اسرائيل يستفيد من النقطة هاي بالأخير هو طلع عدو الشعوب بالكامل نظامنا نحن. Since a conflict broke out in March of 2011, hundreds of thousands of Syrians have been killed and millions have been forced to flee their homes. Many of the victims are children suffering life-threatening injuries who sometimes remain in Israel for months. Israel is now looking into the housing of orphans for either short or even lengthy amounts of time until it becomes safe for them to return home. Now let's take a look at what's happening in Europe. European Jews are turning to Israel for help as they cope with the rising levels of attacks against them. Israeli security officials took center stage at this year's annual meeting of the European Jewish Association in Brussels. In March of last year, 34 people were killed in bombings at the city's airport, intended to target passengers flying to Tel Aviv as well as in the metro system. In January of 2015, four people were killed in neighboring France at a shooting attack on a kosher market, in addition to the 130 who were murdered in the orchestrated assault in November. And that's in addition to the hundreds of attacks specifically targeting Jewish communities on the continent this past year. Conference participants say they want to learn from Israeli experts as to how they can better protect their communities. They strongly believe the Jewish state's vast experience in combating terrorism will not only provide them with vital security assistance against the increasing number of potentially deadly attacks, but also the ability to heighten their vigilance against rising anti-Semitism, being fueled by far-right political gains as well as left-wing anti-Zionist campaigns. One leader commented that this is a war against us. Israel can help us train to act like soldiers so we'll no longer be so vulnerable. Imagine you can make a payment without even having to interact with a credit card. Sounds crazy, right? Well, that's actually possible, and it's all because of an Israeli company called OnTrack Innovations, or OTI. Joining us now today is OTI CEO Shlomi Cohen to tell us more. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for inviting me. So I already see you have a lot of different things right in front of you on the table. Yep. Tell us about this new payment solution that you've created. It sounds yep. very we, interesting. We, yeah, we actually developed a, a technology that's considered to be unique. It's called the pay capsule and the pay capsule flex. And imagine that you actually can convert any product to a payment product. So I will give you a few examples. First one is we are able to put it inside Uh, the jacket inside the collar sleeve of your jacket and you are able to pay with that. But more than that, you can, for example, open the door of your uh, apartment, open the door of your car, and even start the engine of your car. So this is one example. Wow. Second example, that we can put it inside the refillable coffee cup and you can upload the cup with, let's say, 50 bucks, and from now on you can pay with it. So essentially you could slip this little device into your collar sleeve, right? Correct. And then go to a coffee shop and pay for your coffee by just swiping exactly. your arm over the, the device. Or to just tap your the refillable coffee cup in front of the reader. So this is unbelievable because it just makes life easier overall, and you yeah. don't have to be worried about having a million cards on you and losing them. Correct. Correct. Very interesting. Now, how, I mean, what was the thought process behind this? How did you guys decide to, to, to come up with this idea? 
The main idea was, first of all, to make the payment more intuitive. Instead of taking the mobile, actually, the mobile phone outside of the pocket and to find the right application to pay with or to take the credit card and to put inside the four digits and so on. So we were actually thinking about something that will be more intuitive. Right. So the first idea was actually this bracelet, and this is actually the, the pay capsule. It's like that. It's already certified by MasterCard and Visa. And, and then you realized everybody has a different fashion correct. sense, right? So and, you can change, and you can change the bracelet, of course to any color wow. that you okay. want. And following that, we came out with the idea to, do, to develop our payment ring. So six weeks ago, we were having the promotion event for the payment ring in New York City. And over there, we were actually presenting how we are paying with this payment ring. We just stepped into the, to the retail. We were tapping the ring on the uh, reader of the point of sale and we were actually executing the payment. So do, I mean, what's interesting about this is that do you have to collaborate with the stores that you're paying with or is the no. technology that they already have applicable no. to this ring? So you, I could go into a pharmacy? It as, yeah, consider okay. it as a, as a credit card or debit card. This is a payment element. Wow. This is a payment element. On top of it, it's a platform. Think about the fact that you can get a notification to your ring if you're getting a text message or a phone call I can actually generate a blink over here or to vibrate the ring when you're actually getting any kind of text message or phone call. This is one thing. And the other element that we, presenting in, um, that we presented in, uh, in New York City was the fact that we are able to play you know, with our virtual reality in front of a TV screen or even in front of your uh, mobile device. Wow. So this was part of the technology. So that you can we play. You can pay online yeah. as well. Correct. And I guess a good thing is if you lose that ring, nobody's necessarily going to know that you can pay for everything with no. it, right? Actually, if you want to be totally secure regarding that, you don't need to call anyone. The only thing right. that you need to do is actually to deactivate the ring via the application that we are giving you. So this is actually you can manage the ring from your mobile phone. Completely. Oh, wow. So it's secure yeah. all around. Absolutely. That's, that's a big deal. Now, these are the different products that are available, right? We have a bracelet. Now we have these... Um, flex. These flex that we can yeah. slip into. What, what other items? Your, your collar, your... I will give you another example. Think about the fact that I'm able to install those elements inside the steering wheel of your car. And I will be able to tell you if you were drinking too much or you're going to sleep and to generate alert inside the car. So this is actually a, a project that we are trying now to initiate with one of the car manufacturers in Germany. So this is an example for not only for payment, but also for other applications. This is actually part of the IoT, Internet of Things. Right. Yeah. Now, I mean, what about identity theft and issues of, you know, hackers and somebody who could just walk by you and somehow okay. take your information? That, that's, that's an excellent question. The, the idea over here is actually we, that we based everything on the NFC. NFC is actually the near field communication, and this is considered to be the most secure transaction element. was adopted by all the credit card companies and also by mobile phone companies. So actually today, every mobile phone that you're buying, there is NFC chipset inside the mobile phone. doesn't matter if it's based on iOS or Android. Amazing. Yeah. All right, so I guess the next step is just figuring out when we can get these products. Yep. Uh, we are now a having actually a few commercial pilots, 
And uh, I believe that uh, in the first half of uh, 17, we will see those products available in the market. Beautiful. Well, I will certainly try to pick one up myself. This is really, really cool. And I think it's you know, going to represent an exciting change um, just in the world of, of paying and, and yeah. carrying around your bag. I'm not going to have to carry such a heavy wallet with oh, absolutely. me anymore. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. The tiny Jewish state was founded 69 years ago, and I bet Israel's founding fathers never imagined the country would one day be named as the 10th most innovative nation in the world. That distinction was just awarded in the Bloomberg Innovation Index for 2017. The prestigious news organization made the announcement after assessing a variety of strengths among 50 different countries. Israel was found as a world leader in the number of researchers it has per capita. It came second for its high level of research and development and third for the density in high tech. Overall, the findings reflect a one-notch rise in the Jewish state's placement over last year, coming in as the 10th most advanced nation on the planet in terms of innovation. Bloomberg's report follows a recent ranking of Israel as the second most innovative nation in the world by the renowned World Economic Forum's global competitiveness scale. By the way, the Jewish state earned its nickname because it's home to the largest number of startups per capita anywhere in the world. All right, turning now to arts and entertainment. This year's nominations for the Academy Awards include two Jewish actors competing for the top honors, one of whom is even an Israeli. Aaron, tell us what to expect. I know we're talking about Natalie Portman, everyone's favorite Israeli actress, although that's not right. Many I mean, know I don't, I don't want to spoil too much, but you're right. Jerusalem-born actress Natalie Portman is uh, up for Best Actress in her outstanding performance as Jacqueline Kennedy, the former first lady in the film Jackie. Jewish actor Andrew Garfield also got the nod for his performance as best lead actor in the film Hacksaw Ridge. There are several other Jewish connections among other nominees as well. Composer Justin Hurwitz and lyricist Benji Pasek created music for the film La La Land, which garnered a whopping 14 nominations. The movie's director Damien Chazelle, who also has been named for an Oscar in his category, isn't Jewish. But he was Hurwitz's roommate at Harvard, and he even went to Hebrew school for four years after his parents thought he'd receive a better education there than their local Catholic school. Sadly, there won't be any Israeli films competing for Best Foreign Language Film after the Jewish state's entry, called Sandstorm, failed to be selected. You don't have to get your popcorn ready quite yet. The awards ceremony won't be held until February 26th. Have you ever thought about competing in the multi-million dollar Google Lunar X Prize race to the moon? Well, a team of Israelis said yes to that challenge, and they've just been announced as one of the five international finalists. Israel's Space IL is a nonprofit group that promotes scientific and technological education. And even though the team was the last to register in the Google competition at the end of 2010, it was the first to secure the required launch contract. 33 teams started out by accepting the mission to be the first to land a privately funded unmanned robot on the moon this year that's capable of transmitting high-definition video and photographs back to Earth. Some 30 Space IL engineers are now putting the final touches of what would be the smallest and lightest vehicle to ever land on the moon's surface, on a total budget of around $36 million. And unlike most of the other team's models, the Israelis are designing their spacecraft to meet the competition's distance requirements requirement by hopping from its landing site about a third of a mile over lunar terrain rather than driving or rolling. The top prize is $20 million, with the second place winner getting $5 million. 
Space IL has already announced that any money it's awarded will be donated for educational purposes. One of the company's founders told Israel 21C News that the Jewish state's position at the forefront of global technology and the space industry provided his team with the motivation to shoot for the moon. And now for our Hebrew word of the day. Today's word is something we see almost every day and has a special connection to the daily life for Jews. The moon or yareach. Something not everyone may know is that unlike the common Western calendar, which is based on Earth's rotation around the sun, the Hebrew calendar operates with respect to the phases of the yareach. In fact, the new yareach at the beginning of the month is a minor holiday in Judaism called Rosh Chodesh. And many major holidays even fall on the night of a full Yareach. The Yareach has lent itself to more than just keeping time, though. It's also lent itself to Israeli culture, like when we have full Yareach parties similar to those in Thailand, or when we listen to Yareach-inspired music like that of the famous Israeli singer and songwriter Shlomo Artzi's song, Yareach. Probably the best thing we can learn from the Yareach, however, is from the monthly prayer devoted to the heavenly body, which reminds us that just as the Yareach is reborn each cycle, so can we be reborn and get a second chance. Let's go ahead and take a look at the weather forecast. ILTV's weather forecast is sponsored by Adopt-a-Safta, taking care of Israel's lonely Holocaust survivors. Tonight should be cloudy with a chance of light rain and a low of 53 or 12 degrees Celsius. You can expect more clouds and a drop in temperatures tomorrow to a high of 65 or 18 degrees Celsius. All right, that's it for today's news. Today's exchange rate is 3.79 shekels to the American dollar. Remember to sign up for our daily newsletter at ILTV.TV. Thanks for watching and see you tonight.